Hi, I'm Jack. And I'm Kevin. This is Good Company in the Car. Can't help it, the girl can't help it. Can't help it, the girl can't help it. she walks by, the men folks stand in the All right, I've hit it. We're going. What? Ron. I'll see how you do. <laughs> Before we get started, I have a confession to make. Uh-oh. Out of morbid curiosity, Uh-oh. I drove by the Bishop home over in Carter Rock the oh, other day. Jesus. The family annihilator guy, family annihilator guy, and the house looks exactly the same. It was it was eerie how they have done nothing to that home. The subsequent owners haven't changed any well, of the front. You can't see inside. No, 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 no. Just from the exterior, the the paint is the same color. There, I mean, it literally looks like the family just well, left. If you, the news reports are to be believed, it looked exactly like it. You know, the house, the Amityville Horror House, they changed the windows because they were sick of people. <laughs> I don't blame them. I don't blame them. The one thing that they were changing at the, the Bishop home, they were putting in skylights over the uh, living room. Them. Let in the light! Yeah, but that neighborhood, it was just weirdly idyllic. And you would never in a million years well, think what I, happened I, in that I home. I do think that, that that is a funny statement. Like, things like that don't happen yeah, here. yeah. You know, because it, it, I, I've said this before about like towns and stuff like that. It's a percentage. Yeah. So, yes, it doesn't look like those kind of things. But, you oh, I, I mean, I, I know it's a cliche. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. Oh, it no, really, no, no. You yeah, really yeah. wouldn't think something like but that would have happened there. It's just, it's so funny. You know, and every time I see somebody, you know, the, 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 the perfect families, you, you see them or you've known them or whatever. And then you're like, yeah, okay, well. And I'm such a cynic anyway. Yeah, so. you are. So. But anyway, I drove by it. I, I felt I felt dirty, but felt I, dirty. I just wanted to see it. And it's literally, it is literally a stone's throw from the Beltway. Didn't Frank go check out one of the houses? I think he did. I'm drawing a blank on which one. Well, it was someplace out in the West. Yeah. Um, and he went and checked oh, it yeah, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the woman who... Um, the guy murdered her, and then he put her in the car and drove her to San, oh, Fritz, uh, to San right. Diego and put her in the boat. That's right. Yeah. Frank, he's like, the house is over there somewhere. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's very funny. So, uh, boy, but we just had, uh, we filled our gullets with a bunch Oof. of raw fish. Oof. <laughs> so we, we Kevin, Kevin has... Uh, I've always liked sushi, but Kevin has uh, uh, improved my... Expanded. Well, uh, well uh, what uh, educated? I, I'm okay, little, I, I choose better with my. You do. You make better choices. Yeah, I'm making better, making better choices. That's no more, our goals. We always want to make better choices. No more bottom sucking garbage yes, for you. White tuna. Don't eat white tuna. Yeah. And um, uh, so we go to, you know, we try, we go to different sushi joints. He's got one that he particularly likes because I guess like it's almost always half price. on the weekend it's half yeah price. yeah and then I've got one that I particularly like my you know and I went and uh, we there's this one um and it's it's like a Japanese style sushi joint the old the the kind you see in TVs where it's served on conveyor belts mm-hmm and Kevin found it, and I I knew that there was one over there somewhere. There used to be one in Tyson's Mall that uh, it was in an open air area. But I this I don't think this is the same. I don't think this is the same. No. But this one, the reason that I think it's I really enjoy it more than anything else is it reminds me of the Jetsons. Yeah, it's really it's fun. the Jetsons. You have a pad, you mm. a, a tablet. You you oh I want this, I want this, and ding ding, it and comes, a little tr- comes over on a speedy little <laughs> comes on a little conveyor belt, and, and then, your drinks just come from the, a robot. <laughs> the, yes, it's a robot it delivers your drinks, and uh, and then of course I love the fact that when you're done with the plate, once you've eaten what's on the plate, you put the plate in a slot that's plate shaped. 
And it, and it counts your plates <laughs> and it for you. Counts your plates. That's how charging. And when you get fifteen plates, you get a prize. So I, exactly. So my, I, I made this joke. I know it's not that original. I'll take a big backpack and we'll eat, 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 and just put a few plates in the thing and put the rest of the plates in the backpack. Yeah, walk out and back. And I said, yeah, imagine walking out, clang, 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 all the plates. Right but the here. sushi, despite all that, it's very reasonably priced. And it is it's very good. Priced. And um, yeah, and I, you got a piece of the uh, Toro that was the belly tuna. And you're like, you know what this tastes like? Bottom sucking garbage eel, white tuna. And white tuna is actually a snake mackerel, and you really shouldn't order it. If you see it on a menu, don't order it. It's not tuna. And Real, it, it, legitimate, it, super legitimate sushi joints won't serve they it. They won't, and it's illegal to serve it in Japan. Oh. And it's called white tuna. And, and it's it not has tuna. A, it's, it's not a... tuna. It has an oil in it that you can't digest, and if you eat more than a few pieces of it, you will have an event. See, and most people, I think, because they're just eating raw fish, uh-huh. so they're not thinking about... They don't attribute it to that. Yeah, they don't attribute it to that. And, of course, I really liked it, so... Yeah, but it's know. it's the, the bluefin, the toro, is that's why people like it so much. Right. It's got that really rich buttery flavor to it it was yeah it was really good so uh caro in in the dc area there's one in tyson's there's one in dc it's the it's the you know you sit in a robot k-a-r-u yeah and you and and the little plate and the little you have to take the plates off the conveyor belt yeah of course i'm fighting with the damn thing (laughs) we both were yeah so i couldn't get the plate off in time (laughs) and you would have to just let it go Uh, yeah while you couldn't get it off the conveyor belt you just kind of had to let it go because you were going into the next booth down the conveyor train wreck of all these plates and sushi and of course i got um, they, I, uh, the the big complaint we both have with the place is they don't have very good napkins. No, the napkins suck. And they have like diner napkins. Yeah, like the, they have diner know. napkins. And but the thing is, there's the main conveyor belt that's got the pre-made pieces coming by, and they're covered. And then there's an elevated conveyor belt when you order your specialty items, and those come whipping up, and they <laughs> like the speed of light. But they would also go past you if they were going to the other booth, and I get them Jack to grab it as a. <laughs> you know, I want to try. I want to too. Yeah, of course I <laughs> so, do. Well, you know, we're not here to talk about sushi, Jack. We're not here to talk about sushi. What are we here to talk about? Of course, we're talking about people killing people. Yeah, we are. And we are, I was not pronouncing the name of this university correctly. I thought it was Galudet. Right. And you say it's Gal Galudet? Galudet. 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 It's not Galu, it's Gala. Galudet. And it's right. a university. It's famous around D.C. I think it's, it's well, nationally fa- famous. Yeah, it's, I think it's world famous. Yeah. And it because is a, it's the premier college. It is the premier college for hearing impaired and deaf students and blind. And it's in a, it used to be in a very sketchy part of Northeast D.C. It's gotten a lot better. But back when this story takes place, it was still pretty sketchy. And it was surprising what a good safety record Gallaudet had up until that point. But the because episode is, this is City Confidential. City Confidential. Season 12. Season 12. Episode 5. Episode 5. <laughs> I don't even want to say what the title is. What? It's just called Death Dorm. Oh, no. <laughs> that's in such oh, no, poor yeah. taste. Right. Forensic files. I get you. Yeah. I get it, that's, that's in really poor taste. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, yeah, okay, we're, I, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I want to say something like, no, you can't say it yet. We haven't talked about the stuff yet. Okay. Anyway, here's Jean Fernandez. She was the provost of Gallaudet during the early two thousands when this takes place. Gallaudet University is the world's only university 
specifically designed to serve the needs of deaf, hard of hearing, and deafblind students. So yeah, I can't imagine how liberating it must have been if you've grown up deaf in the hearing world and you finally get to a place where hearing people are in the minority and everyone is signing and everything is catering to you but not catering to you you're you're amongst your peers it's making, it's it's the world you should be able to have yeah I, I mean it must be so i hate the word empowering because it's so overused <laughs> but i think it must have been very empowering for people to get there and literally li- literally literally the university is like an oasis mm-hmm. so there's rolling green grass and and, it's a and brick campus. buildings and like you know in your mind picture like the stereo you know the the beautiful Ivy League college it's, yeah and, it's very evocative then, of the Ivy League for and sure. then across the street from the fence it's like project yeah it's, it's very a, low and very poor yeah. very very it's very gotten rough. better the building boom in the past couple of decades but when this happened in 2000 it was a very not a safe part of town and even though the crime rate was kind of high in that part of town it, wasn't it on did campus. not affect yes yeah. the, the the university was not affected by that and i think um if you're ever over there and of course now there's coffee it's a totally different it's a completely different thing, and it's it's almost uh, 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 hipsterish, you know, it little is. Oh, restaurants very, very and all that. So, and now when you go over there, uh, I can remember back in the day when I would be over there, and you'd be at a restaurant or something. And, Your gunfire? <laughs> what? Your gunfire? No, 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 no. And but, but what I was going to say is because it was so close to the university, mm-hmm. and there was a large population of deaf people, mm-hmm. and you know, and you'd be in a restaurant or whatever, everyone's and, signing, and everybody's signing, yeah. yeah. And um, and so it would it would I, I it sounds horrible that I'm saying, but it would kind of take you aback because you're just not used to being yeah the you're, minority you're, so yeah. to speak. No, and it's a healthy experience. And it's it's well yes, it's very good, and I'm very happy you know for the university and the things it accomplishes. And yeah. go. Okay, this is Teresa Crow. She was a professor, and she was on campus when all of this took place. You walk on campus, and immediately everything changes from a sound-based world on the outside to a visual base. Every freshman that I see coming onto campus, they are thrilled to be in an environment where everything is accessible and the playing field is level. For the first time in their lives, they're able to come in and socialize, learn, study, interact, with their peers in a community that they will never see again outside of there. I like the way she described how when you enter the university campus, you shift from a sound-based world to one that's almost fully visual. Right. So the joy the incoming students show when they first experience it is just incredible. And once they leave after four years, that's it. They're back out in the hearing world. world, So I imagine... I would imagine there is probably a high matriculation at reunions to get back in that environment for a while, but probably. I don't know. Students arriving in the fall of 2000 learned that Gallaudet, which was famously safe and low crime, even though it's not in the best part of town, was not as safe as they thought. So it's September 28th, the year is 2000, and an underclassman by the name of Joseph Mesa knocks on his RA's door saying he can't get a hold of his friend Eric Plunkett. So using a master key, they gain access to the room, and they find Eric in a pool of blood on the floor of his dorm room. 
So the provost gets a phone call, and her first thought was, this has to be a suicide or something like that. Murder was the last thing on her mind. Yes. I got the message that there was an emergency and involved a student had died. I thought maybe it was a suicide or some other kind of tragic accident. But when I got to campus, I was informed that he had been murdered. I was completely aghast. So naturally, Eric's parents were inconsolable. They dropped him off at this famous university that's got a great safety record and you know they're going to take care of their son it's the first time he's been away from home and they are devastated this is eric's stepfather and i remember kathleen just wailing at that point i took my baby to college and he's never coming home i took my baby to college and he's never coming home i took my baby to college and he's never coming home what can i say to my wife who just learned that her one and only son is dead so now and they're, the and just also they're from Minnesota. Yeah. So the idea that their son is going to this Washington elite, DC elite college yeah. to learn to to yeah. to be educated or to get his education um, it was a big you know, deal. They were they were more concerned about safety like getting bonked on the head. They weren't thinking yeah. like you know dangerous. That was na- the last thing that Eric said yeah, to his yeah. mom was I'll, don't worry I'll be okay. Right. So yeah, we now hear from Eric's mom and we will learn a little bit about Eric growing up. Uh, he had rubella, which I think can cause uh, deafness in, in infants. It can cause a lot of, oh, it, it, ca- it, it causes a lot right? of, it's, yes. It's bad. Here she is. So when Eric was about three months old, he wasn't hearing, and he had congenital rubella. So a lot of his growing up was focused on understanding what he needed and getting him into a program called Infant Hearing, where they started working with him with sign language and fit him for hearing aids before he was even a year old. From a very young age, he could sign, he could read lips, and he would write notes, he would mime. He was very good at getting people to understand what he was trying to communicate. Here's one thing, I'm always amazed how they can fit nonverbal infants with like reading, with glasses or with hearing aids because they can't tell you if they're seeing better or if they're hearing better. I I've always wondered that because I don't know if they're how they how they set. You know when you see a oh one-year-old? I agree with you one hundred percent. You see an infant, a baby, a toddler mm-hmm. with glasses on, and you're like, how do they know? With, with I guess some, because they respond. I I don't I don't know, but but they but they can't right. A one-year-old's not going to know to thumbs up or thumbs down. Well, in the few, like, you know, I don't say videos or whatever I've seen, you see when the child puts the glasses on and you can see its face change because it rec- it it sees maybe, a face or maybe. it sees whatever. And the same with the hearing. I, I guess. Okay. That's got to be something it's, like that. Well, it's, yeah. It's the only right. thing they have until they can respond properly. Yeah. Eric wanted to be a psychiatrist. He was apparently always helping people. And his mom and stepfather... Talk to us a little bit more about that. Eric wanted to be a psychiatrist. He was always uh, helping people or, or assisting people. So he had a, a generous heart. That he had a lot of friends and that he, you know, had a family that loved him. He was very excited to go to Gallaudet. And when his acceptance letter arrived at home, he opened the letter and he was jumping up and down and screaming. He was so excited that he was accepted. He wanted to experience life. The last thing he said to me was, 
Don't worry, Mom. I'll be fine. So as I said earlier, his last words to his mom were, Don't worry, I'll be fine. So weeks and months go by, and there is no progress made on the case. So when the provost gave an update on the case to the media, she was trying. She was signing, but that little phalanx of microphones that you the news media see, put up, yeah, you, you blocked yeah, yeah, her hands yeah, yeah. completely. I and thought this, that of was- course, was before they had all the, you know, like everybody who speaks now in the news. There's a there's there's a, a, a sign person interpreters, right? Yeah. So. They make it through that fall semester. There's no more no more violence on campus, no more murders on campus. Everyone breathes a sigh of relief. They're going to go home for the winter break and hit the reset button. At the end of a semester, there is a huge sigh of relief from the faculty and the students both. We made it through a difficult semester. Everybody would go back home where they felt safe and we were gonna have a great big time out. We all went home for the holidays. We spent time with our families. Things seemed to get back to our normal rhythm. And then we came back to school. So the spring semester starts, everything is in bloom, everything is back to normal, and we think it's going to be okay. And again, in the middle of the night, the provost gets a phone call saying there's been yet another murder. I got a call in the middle of the night. My husband answered it at 2 a.m. He came to tell me that another student had been found in the dorm murdered. I thought, what is wrong with Gallaudet University? What is happening here? I drove back to the dorm. The whole scene is playing out again. Another murdered student. Okay, the victim's name is Ben Barner, and he too is found in his dorm room on the ground in a pool of blood. What had happened is a student had pulled a fire alarm as a prank, which meant everybody had to leave the dormitory. So as the RAs were going back through to make sure everyone was out of the building, they discovered Ben. So now everybody's back at 100 and panicky. There's a murder on the loose at Gallaudet. So Detective Pamela Reed from the D.C. Police Department is assigned the case. And she clearly takes no shit from no one. Right. She Didn't she look classy? Exactly, yeah. I want her to be on my case <laughs> if I'm ever murdered, Jack. Okay. <laughs> we had a very violent crime scene. His dorm was not ransacked. But obviously there was a struggle. There was blood patterns all up walls, multiple stab wounds and cutting wounds. He was cut across his throat as well. We could see blood drops going down the hallway and a very, very faint outline of a bloody shoe print. This uh, really remarkable uh, gal came out from the lab That was her expertise with shoes. When she was looking at the footprint with me, she goes, I might be able to spray that and pop up the coloring so that we can have a discernible uh, tread print. And I'm like, go for it. And she uh, sprayed a little compound on it, and it just came to life. So there were clearly signs of a struggle. Let me pause you. (laughs) So, So... This was the original one was thought to be an isolated incident. Right, something had happened, an argument, a fight, something. Because even though they had no suspects, right? But they had no suspects. But there was also it seemed relatively. There wasn't a huge struggle. It wasn't a big Uh man. It wasn't like. But the second one with Ben, Ben was big. Yeah, and he fought back. Yes. So there was uh, blood everywhere. There was blood, and and the room was was you know completely destroyed. And And he's been cut clean across his throat. Yes. A technician notices a faint bloody footprint leaving the dorm room. 
And she says to the detective that she thinks she can get a print from it. And she does. And it is an Air Jordan Nike size 11. So the day after Ben was killed, there was some activity on his bank account. And a check made out to a Joseph Mesa, sound familiar? Yes, exactly. Was cashed at a nearby bank. He was the guy who alerted his RA about Eric earlier. So they bring Mesa in to speak with Detective Reed, and he, of course, denies having the check. She's loving that because they've got him on monitor. They've got they, She's got him. So, of course, they get a search warrant, and they go to his room, and they find the Nike sneakers, and the DNA evidence from the crime scene at Ben's room matches Joseph. So they bring him in again to speak with the detective, and he apparently knows the jig is up. He kind of knew it was all closing in. But he saw that the noose was tightening. He gave it all up. And at the end of his lengthy confession, he told the police, one other thing I should tell you. And they said, what's that? And he said, I killed Eric Plunkett too. So trial, he's claiming insanity, saying that these two gloved hands told him in his head to kill his fellow students. But the prosecuting attorney shut that shit down pretty quickly. I was cross-examining him and I asked him whether the black gloves had compelled him to cash the check and use the ATM of Ben Varner, which was a little bit hard for him to answer. So he said, no, no jury wants to be hoodwinked by someone who is going to fake an insanity defense. So yeah, did he was the, saying that the the, the Mesa was set Mesa Mesa was saying that it was the gloves of the W one of the wrestlers. I I want to oh say, really? I want to say it's the Undertaker, but I could be wrong on that. It was a it was a wrestling character who wore black gloves. Uh-huh. And of course, to me, I'm thinking, isn't this this makes you think? Here is this guy. He's a student. Uh-huh. He has. He's. You know. He needs. He requires all the same thing. The same things that the victims. And he killed. You know. People. If. If he got away with the first one and no one had any clue he did it. Right. The second one. He might have gotten away with that too. Would, well. <laughs> now. Well. There was. There was enough evidence. Thank God. But if he'd have gotten away with that, it would have only continued and gotten worse. Yes. He says to. Um, uh, Professor Crow goes to visit him in jail and she said, you know, what made you do it? He's like, I don't know. And she said, would you do it again? He said, yeah, probably. But um, the defense, they pointed out there, like, did those two gloved hands tell you to write the check and go to the bank? And he said, no. And they were, that the, the jury was like, you're not mentally ill. Right, right, right. So, but there was also, in my research, the prosecution, the prosecutor said something like, well, uh, are those hands trying to tell you to kill me? And he said, not yet. Oh, God. Uh, so here he is on, on you and know. On trial. In the, yeah, yeah. So um, even two decades later now, the loss of innocence at Gallaudet, Gallaudet is still palpable. The deaf community will never forget the murders. For a long time, we lived with the privilege of assuming that there could never be a murder within our community. And now we know that it can, and it did. We lost our innocence. The murders changed Gallaudet forever. We are not an oasis. We're not an island in the middle of the city. We are part of Washington, D.C., and all of the good and bad things that happened here. So, yeah, I remember when this was going down. People were like, did you hear that there was, there's been a, a, there's like a serial murderer at Gal- Gallaudet and uh, 
and then they they caught him pretty quickly. Well, but, but I I remember this. I I really don't remember it, and and I think at first they may have thought it was uh, you know because it was the part of town they thought somebody had snu- exactly right? that there was something and then of course the the second thing that was making the rounds was it's a serial killer yeah and then of course that's could have potentially been that mm-hmm. and uh oh yeah he wasn't he killed two people it was, it was a serial killer well i mean you know the the potential for it to have kept going yeah. and getting worse i think was the was the uh was the implication was the big thing yes yeah. exactly and um did you, you you found not very much but what i really liked that you pointed out was that when you were doing your research so much of it was just signed well because it wasn't for the hearing community kind a of thing. lot of the times a lot of the times the the in in my research it is uh videos mm-hmm. people have made videos that's how i get a lot of the base information before i start looking things up yeah and this this particular case the only videos that or the only things that that really came up were inside mm-hmm. so there was no sound no no interpretation yeah. or anything and i found that uh, in a way i found that very empowering for yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the individual you know for the that it, it affected more because uh two three videos were done that way because i kept finding videos i'm like oh and then i'm like oh and oh. you know my dumb brain was sinking well, just turn on the subtitles. Well, you know, it doesn't there's work no sound. Like that. There's no it sound, Kevin. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so uh, as part of my research, um, uh, the mental health experts who examined Mesa said he suffered from a lifetime of depression, frustration, and antisocial behavior, in part because he was deaf and felt he could not communicate his feelings to others. So. He was, I, I'm not exactly sure where he lived before he got there, but they're saying it was from Guam. Oh, okay. So, but I believe that the family was from the South someplace. No. I thought it was possibly in Texas, but I, it, it's confused. This, there is, it was very difficult to find research on this yeah. because it was, it was just, There's not a lot it out was not one a lot I out can, there. You can imagine that um, if you're have, if you're a troubled youth or whatever, to be hearing impaired or deaf would compound the problem, the isolation. Exactly. And, stuff. and I would imagine that the rates of depression and things like that, they have to be higher with the uh, people who suffer hearing I impaired. I agree with you. Kind of- I agree with everything you just said. But the thing about that that bothers me uh-huh. is he went to the one place. Where he was, yeah, where he was amongst his people. He yeah. was not an isolated, he was not, he could be understood. He could express himself. Yeah, Everybody that's a could, very good point. Yeah, and, and that and that shows that regardless of the circumstances you're in, I go back to percentages. You know, he was, he was going to be a thug. He was going to be a bad guy. Yeah. He was going to, it didn't matter. He was he he kind of got a golden ticket. Yeah, he went to the premier yeah. university. Really is, and 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 he you know ruined it. I yeah, it's it's um, yeah, and they and they and he said those two were my friends. Both those guys were my friends, and I killed them. Right, and um, so he he was very troubled person, and they at sentencing. They thought he was so dangerous that they didn't send him to. They sent him to a maximum security prison. I believe it's in Western Maryland because they don't want him amongst the general population because the spontaneous nature of his killings with people he was pretty friendly with. They thought he was a danger to other inmates. Well, he literally took a chair after 
at, he took a chair and pulverized the person. Uh, did he? Yes. Where, oh, so you must have. He choked him out and then took a chair and pulverized him. Oh, God. That is what a. a, a kind of depraved. That's the mindset <laughs> of this guy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, and, and Plunkett was the first victim. Mm-hmm. So, and he apparently had cerebral palsy on top of that. So oh. he was a little, he wasn't a big dude. Yeah, he was, he a, little, was a little guy. Yeah. And he was physically. Brad wasn't. Yeah. You know, and then, the, you know, the, and then. Um, the next guy was bigger yeah. and fought back, yeah. and that's why it was so much more of a mess. And you know the messed up thing is? While the assault was going on, no one heard him. You know what I mean? Isn't that a... Yeah, because you don't even think about it. Yeah. I actually thought about that on my own. It was like, he wouldn't have to worry about making any noise leaving. Yeah. No, it's, it's messed so up. So he only had to worry about being seen. Yeah. He was in the same dorm. Yeah. He was the one who went to the RA uh, yeah, and said, yeah. Yeah, where's and, my friend Eric? Yeah. And, and he was friends with him. Yeah. So after he died, he returned items to the parents and mm. said these were... Eric's. You know, yeah. yeah, and I wanted to give them back. Yeah, he was a twisted that individual. Is, that, is, that, is, that is very... Um, I'm not manipulative... Uh, 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 calculating? Calculating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calculating, very, very mm. calculating. But anyway, Gallaudet, Gallaudet has not been back in the news since, so I think it's smooth sailing back down there. I know that that part of town is much nicer these days. Right. The when In regards to the Varner, the second victim, Messa said he knew he was going to be harder to kill. Oh. So he used a knife. Oh, jeez. I mean, like, he, he went into the, like, Plotting them? No, like no, no. This was cold blooded. He was a cold blooded murderer. Them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. There's. This was not a crime of passion or spontaneous. This is first degree calculated murder. And it's and it is unusual or odd or however you want to look at it because because he is he has this impairment. You automatically give him a sympathy vote. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the uh, in my research, the D.C. police initially arrested another Gallaudet, Gallaudet student named. Thomas Minch uh, for Plunkett's killing, but the charges were dropped. Minch, who was forced to withdraw from the university, subsequently oh, that poor kid. sued the D.C. police Good. for wrongful arrest. Uh, the suit has been on hold, awaiting the verdict in the Mesa case. So the I, I that was, was a contemporary. I report. was not able to find. Yeah, I was not able to find if anything he won on the this. But this poor guy was, you know, even though he was innocent. Yeah, you know, oh, it ruined he, his life. Yeah, yeah it ruined yep. his life. Yep. Uh, he, he had to leave the, the university. Uh, when the police uh, were starting to build a case of him, Mesa confessed in a three-and-a-half-hour videotaped segment. Jeez. Uh, saying he committed both slayings to rob the victims, and his attorney tried to suppress that. So with Varner... Because no one realized he was dead, Mesa returned to Varner's room several times to get things he'd left behind. Wow. He came back for... Uh, uh, I think his sweatshirt or something like that. Oh, why would he so leave he was behind in, the first time? He was in and out of the room several times, which is why he made the footprint. Oh, okay. Well, that, glad exactly, he did. <laughs> exactly. Well, again, criminals aren't always the bright, no, you know. No, you know, he, they're yeah. not. Thank God. Exactly. Okay. Um, I was able to find mug shots of him and you know, when you look at him, he, he looks like a good looking kid, you know, and he was 22 uh, when he did it, so the other kids were students. They were so he'd be simil- in his forties now. Yeah, he's in his first. His head shaved. He's a lot heavier. Okay, uh, you know, and he is. Um, 
He is never, ever, ever, ever getting never out getting of jail. Out. Six life sentences. Yes, exactly. Six life sentences. Okay. Well, well, thank it's, you it's for listening. It's absolutely spine. T- like nah. just, just <laughs> it, 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 it. I don't know when you think of like I don't know crimes of passion. What this is just. Like evil, yeah. like just pure, just it's badness. Exactly what it, yeah, that's what the word horrible. evil was coined for to exactly. describe people like this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you so much. Hey, and don't forget to share and like. Oh yeah, we haven't said that for a long yes, time. Yes. Share and subscribe and like and do all those fun things. Exactly. Thank you very much. Or more than.